This is Danielle Smith. This is Tammy Peterson. This is Alex Craner. This is Curtis Stone. This is Tom Luongo, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. How's everybody doing? Happy Monday. Hope everybody uh, had a good weekend. We, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the weekend here. Get, let's let's do this first. Silver Gold Bowl. They're North America's premier precious metals dealer with state-of-the-art distribution centers in Calgary and Las Vegas. I was talking about... Um, I was talking about uh, them having a promo coming up. So Silver Gold Bowl, they're running a limited time promo where where new and existing customers can get a 10-ounce silver bar at uh, spot price. It's a limited time, one per household or one per customer, and it is while quantities last. Even better, it qualifies for free shipping. So if you're uh, thinking about buying silver, maybe even for the first time, here's an opportunity to do it uh, at uh, a discounted price. No premiums on it. Uh, and finally, it's RRSP. RRSP. I don't know why I can't spit that out. Season is upon us. So if you've ever thought of putting physical metal in your RSP, uh, well, <clears throat> down in the show notes, sorry, I've been battling a cold here, folks, for a little bit. Down in the show notes, we have our own dedicated uh, uh, email address, smp at silvergoldbull.com, or you can give uh, a call, ask for Graham, and he can run you through if you're, you're questioning RSP, whether or not that's something you're, you're interested in, um, whether you want to get a 10-ounce silver gold, uh, silver gold, silver Oh my goodness, silver bar at spot price. Hello, Monday. Hello, Monday. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Okay, silvergoldbull.ca. Go there. It's going to ship right to your doorstep. It's pretty slick. And um, right now, 10 ounce silver bar at spot price. That's that's the thing I've been kind of talking about, trying to just make you all aware. It is now available. So it's it's for new customers and also existing customers. So if you've been a customer of Silver Gold Bull before, you can get a 10 ounce silver gold uh, silver bar. Man, why can't I say that today at spot price? There. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Anyway. <sighs> the weekend. The weekend, I guess, was good. I don't know what's happening here on this side. Um, it was good. U7, U9 hockey. Got out to, to Hillmon. Watched my little nephew play a little U9 hockey as well, so that was cool to be back in the old arena and, uh, you know, and it not be minus 40 with a 50, you know, minus 50 wind chill. That was that was kind of nice. You know, I, I was like, the sun was shining. It's only minus 16, you know. It sounded like a crazy Canadian. I'm like, that's almost T-shirt weather, you know. Coming to minus 40, you're like, anything is doable at this point. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild. Dyson and Tracy Mitchell, Mitchco Environmental. They're looking for equipment operators. Farming experience is a bonus. Also looking for laborers, seasonal or full-time. If you are a college or university student, um, you know, uh, be giving a thought at their four-month positions, May through August. Uh, over the course of the summer, you can earn, uh, you know, a minimum of 20 grand, 20K. That's an entry level. Like, whew, once upon a time, I did that. I, I'm pretty sure I did not make 20K. Just... I mean, times are changing, I guess. They're a family-owned business that can provide uh, that provides professional vegetation management services for both Alberta and Saskatchewan, the oil field and industrial sector since 1998. And once again, going back to the college, university students, uh, you can reach out 780-214-4004, michcocorp.ca. Give it some thought. Um, obviously, uh, it's a position available or positions available here in Lloydminster. Carly Kloss and the team over at Windsor Plywood, builders of the podcast studio table for everything wood. These are the guys. Deck season is upon us and Windsor is uh well tech season is not upon us like this is this is Monday this is Monday I my brain is like where am I I don't know where I am today oh boy tech season is definitely not upon us Sean don't think I have to tell anyone else that when tech season is gonna be upon us 
do I, you know, like it's, it's at this point in time, I'm like, do I just go back and restart the entire thing? I'm not going to, but this pains me. The brain is functioning at uh, whatever Monday is functioning at. Very low today, I guess. Very, very low. They are the builders of the podcast studio table. And when it comes to, when we're, when we're talking mantles, decks, windows, door sheds, podcast studio tables, character wood, character wood, you know, uh, chunks of wood you're just not going to find anywhere else. Windsor Plywood is the place. Stop in here in Lloydminster uh, today and go see Charles, Mr. Carly Clausen, and his team at Windsor Plywood. Man, I'm just, let's get on with the show. It's kind of like, let's just get on with the show. Oh, oh. Um, ticker, uh, ticker, ticker, Tucker Carlson tickets. There's still some available on Ticketmaster. Uh, that's probably your easiest spot. We got to, you know, we went from, I didn't know too many people going from Lloyd to now we're taking a bus and just cause people are going to be all oh, bus coming for Lloyd. It's already full. It's got we we're, it's already full. You know, that's how quick it happened. We went from, I'm going to drive up with Mel and we're going to, you know, uh, have a little bit of fun to now there is 56 people all hopping on a bus together. So Tucker Carlson is going to be a fun show Wednesday night in Edmonton. He's also uh, in Calgary Wednesday at noon. But uh, as far as I know, Wednesday uh, in Calgary sold out. Rogers Place, Ticker, uh, Ticker, see what is going on here? Ticket Master. <sighs> Let's just, you know, we gave out all the tickets. I'm trying to muscle through here, folks. I'm, I'm really trying to. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, we gave out all the tickets on on Substack, and then of course um, uh, here on the podcast. If you did not get a call, I'm sorry that uh, you did not win uh, any of that. Our big winner was Ray Lynn Armstrong. She won uh, a VIP meet and greet with Tucker Carlson. That was pretty cool. And uh, there was a whole bunch, uh, Trisha Rue, uh, Jerry Wimpf, uh, I hope I say that right, George Sostak, Kevin Damon, um, just a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of winners, and uh, we drew them on uh, last Thursday. I said Wednesday, and then we finally got to a Thursday. So thanks for everybody participating. And, of course, if you haven't signed up on the Substack, please go subscribe. We're, we release uh, exclusives there all the time, and uh, we'd love to have you over there uh, and partaking in the community we're trying to slowly uh, build and facilitate there. All right, enough of me blabbering on and falling all over myself today. Let's get on to that tale of the tape. His company's ran over 400 newspaper titles at one point in North America and headed the third largest newspaper group in all of the Western world. He was the founder of the National Post. He's interviewed people like Donald Trump and Justin Trudeau. I'm talking about Conrad Black. So buckle up. Here we go. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. I am joined by Conrad Black. Uh, sir, thanks for hopping on. Thank you for having me. You know, if uh, I've ever heard a guy uh, on, I think you'll be episode 571 on this side, and uh, there's a couple who stick out who have a voice for radio. Sir, you have it. You have a great voice when, when you start rattling off. Um, <laughs> I, I assume you've been told that lots. I have not. I have not. My wife occasionally hints at it, but that's as far <laughs> as I've gotten um you know um for for the audience uh, you're going to be out here in in uh in edmonton this coming week on stage with uh, rex murphy and tucker carlson so i wanted to throw that out i want to talk about that a little bit 
But before we get into all of that, Conrad, um, you know, it's it's funny. I was born in 86 and, you know, I got digging into all your, you know, um, your life, I guess. And I'm like, huh, I, I knew a little bit about you here and there, but, uh, you know, you were in the, the throes of things when I was being born. And so yeah. I wondered if you wouldn't tell me a little bit about yourself. I know we, we don't have forever today, but um, uh, I wouldn't mind just hearing a little bit about Conrad before we talk uh, a bit more about Tucker Carlson and you being on stage and all that good stuff. Hey, I'm a little uneasy about talking about myself and in the unlikely event anyone shares your interest in knowing more about me in the past, uh, you know, it's, it's out there, uh, although it should be read with caution unless I wrote it myself. But, um, uh, well, look, in a word, my uh, family were a well-to-do family and I uh, had a, I, I didn't much like school, but I did like university. Um, I, I developed the theory that school teachers were essentially people who didn't make it in the world of adults. So they uh, retreated to a world of little people where they could uh, throw their weight around and that most of them weren't really qualified to teach very much. But I, I, I have had some experience of teaching since then and I've raised my opinion of that occupation a bit. Um, but I did, I did have a nice time at university and I went to Carleton, Laval and McGill and uh, and my thesis at McGill um, was the basis of my first book about the longest-serving premier of Quebec, Maurice Duplessis. And uh, at, at, the, at the same time, while I was in the law school at Laval, I associated with a couple of friends of mine, and we bought some little newspapers. And then this group grew and grew, and it eventually grew to be uh, one of the one of the biggest newspaper companies in the world <clears throat> and the among the titles that we owned were um, the daily and sunday telegraph in london circulation of over a million and the um the spectator and in in the united states the chicago sun times the jerusalem post the leading newspapers in australia and uh, a majority of the newspapers, daily newspapers in Canada, including the National Post, which we founded, and the Montreal Gazette, Ottawa Citizen, Edmonton Journal, Calgary Herald, and the Vancouver Sun and Province. And, um, and there were over 100 smaller daily newspapers in 30 states in the United States. So it was a big business. But um, I got a look at the Internet and... Um, saw the implications of it for the newspaper business and we made an orderly withdrawal from that business until a legal controversy developed over the conduct of one of my associates who uh, had done bad things and didn't tell any of us but this was in an American situation and he uh, threw himself on the mercies of the plea bargain system in that country which enables you to to get a very reduced sentence for yourself if you can if you can help convict somebody more prominent than yourself and several associates of mine and i were the victims of that and it was it was an outrage and uh, we said it was an outrage and it has ultimately been acknowledged by the government of the united states to have been an outrage but in the meantime, it um, drove that company into bankruptcy, and I 
uh, I was uh, reduced to comparatively straightened economic circumstances. And uh, I've been rebuilding my fortune as well as um, uh, relaunched my career as a, as a writer of books. And I've been pretty active in that field. So uh, the, that's what I do now. I write, uh, I write uh, comments in websites and newspapers, which I'm well paid for. And it's much easier, really, than being a newspaper owner. You, you just paid for your opinions. You don't have to bother with um, uh, agitating stock minorities and newspaper unions and that sort of thing. Uh, and the joys of dealing with the banking system. And um, and and I write and I write books. So that's I mean, it's I, I'm not representing it as any great dramatic. Uh, a paradigm of how to conduct one's life but here we are you've yeah. lived you you've uh you've lived quite the life you've seen a lot of things that most people will not and uh, experience a lot of things that pe most people don't want to um mm. go down the same road you know when i when i got uh, uh digging very lightly on you uh and you know i i you know not stumbled because it's it's everywhere you know uh, that at one point you were the third largest newspaper group in western world is the way it's written i i don't know if you'd say it was larger than that smaller than that uh, no, for I me think that, i think that's accurate in circulation yes for me i i look at that and i go here's a guy that can answer one of my questions that i've been you know stumbling around if you would just a a kid from small town saskatchewan now in small town alberta through covid Everyone went, all these globalists, they're sitting in a backdoor room, uh, you know, smoking cigars and came up with this brilliant plan. And then they controlled all the media and yada, yada, yada. Here's a guy sitting across from me that would have had sitting there would have been like, well, that guy owns all that. That's why they're putting that message out. And that's why they're censoring all this side in there. And did you see all that? Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh you're you're blending together two different things the sort of davos group which i do know something about since i attended it for 20 years myself indeed i succeeded the late bob maxwell as the head of the media section of it and it was actually quite useful for me because we got a lot of prominent media owners and operators there and it was good to kind of talk shop with them but i i, I knew claus schwab the founder quite well and and i went to a number of plenary sessions uh, on, as a panelist and um when i started there it was in the very early 1980s before you were born as it turns out and the cold war was still going on and uh and the, the, the davos spirit was really one of elitism and not so much a policy agenda because the european um, leading figures in Europe knew that much as they would wish it otherwise, they had to have the Americans help them to be sure of keeping the Russians out of Western Europe. And uh, it, But after the Cold War ended and the Soviet Union disintegrated, then there was this um, compulsion of the of, uh, sort of Euro man to develop a new agenda for the world. And, and while many of them weren't even conscious of it, I became aware of the fact that um, in their minds, or at least in the back of their minds, was the recollection that Europe had governed the world really prior to World War One. They'd got it terribly wrong with the world wars and uh, such uh, exaltations of 
their political imagination as the communists and the Nazis, uh, but that now, and they'd, they'd had to rely on the Americans to keep the Russians out of Western Europe, but now they didn't need the Americans anymore, and they would all stand on each other's shoulders and go back to ruling the world. And so they devised them that they wouldn't articulate it this way, but I, I, I after a while, I recognized this was sort of in their thoughts. And, um, and so they, they produced a, a, an authoritarian socialist schedule. And, and you remember dealing with a continent, which for obvious reasons uh, is still in a state of horror at what governments can do. Um, but they are also uh, for obvious reasons, paying Dane Geld to the working class and the small farmers for the upheavals that they can generate. So their their optimum is, by North American standards, quite a socialistic one and therefore quite an authoritarian one. Now, that thinking <clears throat> was much represented in the public health administration ethos that took control when, when the pandemic came to prominence, but it got tangled up in American politics, the leaders of the Democratic Party saw right away that they could condemn Trump as being anti-science and and reckless and negligent about public health if he didn't shut the country down. And then as soon as he did shut it down, they could blame him for the worst depression since Herbert Hoover. And, and so in the United States, it was basically politically driven, but this how should I put it? it? This was the incidentally also the serving to the administrative class in the public health sector, Dr. Fauci and others, of an intoxicant against which they were resistless. So the, the anti-Trump forces use the lust and appetite for authority of the public health bureaucracy to impose a shutdown on the United States, which like almost everything that happens in the United States was emulated in Canada and other places. And, um, and they did so for the purposes of embarrassing and removing from office the then incumbent president. Now all the chickens are coming home to roost now, but I just gave you uh, a, a, I mean, some people might disagree with me, but it is a carefully thought out analysis that I built up over throughout the period since the pandemic of what actually happened. So we, we had we had a sort of health control bureaucracy completely out of control uh, with a blank check from the media, national political media and the um, uh, the intelligentsia and the academy in the United States to do a screw job on the incumbent president. And, uh, and this tied in with the growing and rampaging appetite of Davos man to take over the world on behalf of Europe and tell everybody, go back to telling everybody what to do. So that's what we were dealing with. It's calling, falling apart now. It's almost completely disintegrated and the wheels are coming off in all directions. And Trump is probably coming back as president, but that's where we are. You mentioned meeting with Davos for 20 years. Did you nah. think, you know, to me, uh, most people don't admit that anymore. Like, oh, no, I never I never went there. Right. They they try and uh, slough it off as they'd never been. You know, when you, when don't you... try and cover up my past. No, I, I had a purpose to go. It, it was um, 
look, I, I had lunch with Rupert Murdoch there once, and that's where we ended the price war, the London price war. It was a business justifiable decision. I, I the, the political part of it, I thought, was nonsense. But there were a few other dissenters around, like Henry Kissinger and Richard Pearl. And, uh, and, and we had a good time just putting out our viewpoints, which were minority viewpoints. But in those days, people listened politely to them. Well, I suppose because of the prestige of Kissinger and the others, not because they like to hear it, but they did. They did listen to us. Well, I guess uh, the question I was going to ask Conrad, you know, when you when you've been there for twenty years, I actually it, it makes sense. You're going there for you know some very high profile people from your industry are there to uh, on and on, but you go the political stuff was nonsense. Well, you just look at the young global leaders. You look at all the ways that Klaus Schwab is. Uh, you know, I wish I could do the the evil accent, which I can't do, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I won't. I won't try and do it here. But, you know, he, he's, he's a rather nice man, believe it or not. But he's like a Frankenstein monster. He's out of control now. But uh, but he's a nice guy. But uh, And he's built up a great thing. I mean, look, it's a nondescript little town. Nobody in their right minds would go there even to ski. But he turned it into one of the centers of, uh, you know, policy making in the world. So, you know, he's a, in his way and by his lights, he's a success. Well, sure. But now where you sit. When you say he's Frankenstein, he's something worse. Like, I mean, at this point, he's enacting global policy across things he knows nothing about in countries he knows very little about. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, he he has an excuse, though. He makes recommendations. He has no official status anywhere. Uh, you're absolutely, I agree with you that w w what he proposes is happening. Although I, th I think it's I, I think it's fraying badly now, but it has happened. But you that is to be blamed on the the policy makers the official leaders in the countries that took all this rubbish seriously and i mean he, he has no standing to tell the dutch or the belgians or the canadians uh, you know what they should do in the public health field or anywhere else um but the davos generates this ethos which is an authoritarian homogenization of everybody run by a kind of uh, science fiction bureaucracy and and uh, he, he's just he's just um, the president of the center where these ideas uh, emanate from uh, he can't be blamed for legislation or uh, official edicts in other countries he has no official status anywhere not even in Switzerland so he he's more like the um, the Marx than the Lenin, if you will. Hmm, that's it. I feel like that's letting him off a, a touch easy, but I, I get what you mean. He's, I, he's, I, I he's understand. Not the worst of our problems. He's not a bad. Man, who's 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 the worst of our problems? Then, if you sit there and go, who is the worst of our problems? I, I, that is an interesting question because uh, a lot of people yeah. would say the World Economic Forum or uh, all these different. Um, things like the UN or the WHO and all the agreements that are trying to pull all these countries together and operate from, uh, you know, the one world government, the globalist view. But who does Conrad and, and Black not, not think? That, not only what you just said, but uh, in the case of Europe, um, a Europe where all authority resides with the commissioners, the European Parliament has no authority. It's just a talking shop. Uh, they, 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 they don't enact anything. The commissioners, once they're installed, are not subject to removal, and their edicts have the authority of the European Union. And the, for example, the um, the uh, European, uh, the the what do you call them, the uh, Euro integrationists in Britain, 
who I fought against every day in the Telegraph titles and ultimately successfully, uh, they they claim that when, in effect, that when Britain voted to join the common market under Ted Heath, that it had voted, it had just got on the European train wherever the train took them. And that's not the case. And that's what the voters determined at Brexit. They were for common market. They probably still are. But they were not for an ever closer union. And they were not for taking the system of government that has evolved reasonably satisfactorily in Britain for nearly a thousand years and stripping the parliament and the other institutions of Britain, their court system, and, and making it subordinate to um, people who are, who are not responsible to any legislators or electorates directly in Brussels. And, and the idea, incidentally, of any country in Europe with the, possibly including Belgium itself, being governed by Brussels is one that appalls everyone. No one is in favor of it. That's why these people have, have, have it just got completely out of control. And because they managed to swaddle themselves in the fastest possible progress away from the terrible past of still living memory of dictatorships and pogroms and war in Europe, uh, they made far more yardage than they should have. But nobody actually, no, no, I don't mean not one single person, I mean no majority seriously approves of the Davos agenda. It's just, a, it's just a bunch of elitist thinkers and not very original thinkers at that. I mean, when uh, not to put on airs or hobnob with people of greater prestige than myself, but when Henry Kissinger and I and some others said, you know, suggested alternatives, to what they were proposing, they, they looked at us as if we had two heads. I mean, two heads each. I don't mean Henry and me together. <laughs> I, would, I would hope we had that. But but um, uh, it's if you ask me who who the who the greatest offenders are, I, I think there 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 are. It's a kind of a faceless group, you know. That and this is part of their insidious and. Uh, insinuating nature they it, it's hard to identify them with you know uh, Emmanuel Goldschmidt's five minutes of hate where we can say there is the evil party you know and and um, it, it, it's more a matter of, of identifying policy options trends and psychological currents behind it and condemning those but you get people who really do get dangerously above the barricades who become easy targets. Fauci is one of them. Uh, Biden is one of them, although I don't think he really knows what he's doing. He's fronting it for a lot of people. Obama is one of them, and he's largely he's largely ducked it because of uh, uh, the it being so unfashionable to criticize anyone but a, a white Christian in the United States. But um, uh, uh, you, you get implementers in different countries. And, and so each country has its own uh, wicked person who will be eventually punished for doing. Mm -hmm. And aren't a lot of those tied to Klaus Schwab? You know, I, I, well, just I think a lot of them influence, uh, you, know, you know, I think they it, it's not so much Klaus. He's the convener. But but, yeah, they all get together in this appalling little town. I, I gather they built better hotels since my time, but the hotels were awful. The food was awful. But it was, uh, you, you know, there were no, you know, you had to walk outside considerable distances to to uh, get from one 
meeting room to another and it was uh, you know you, you should unless you're dressed up like a, a member of the norwegian army in january you almost froze to death uh, i mean the whole thing was a physical ordeal to listen to a bunch of people who sound like klaus schwab that that swiss dutch droning intonation of an absolute monotone barely audible uttering bureaucratic nonsense uh, the implications of which are, are 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 so chilling that they undoubtedly added a great deal to the revenue of the of uh, the alcoholic beverage dispensing places in Davos, uh, which were well patronized anyway because it was so brutally cold outside. You um. I, I believe you've got to sit with uh, a, f a few different world leaders over the course of your time. I'm sure a lot that I don't know of, but uh, three uh, came to mind um, uh, when I was, uh, I don't know, thinking about sitting and asking a few different questions. One of them is, is currently leading Canada and Justin Trudeau. Another is, uh, you know, is uh, former president uh, Donald Trump, who, you know, right now, the looks of it, he should be the slam dunk leader uh, on this next election, but I will not put anything past anyone at this point. Mm -hmm. And then you also introduce, uh, uh, interviewed uh, Boris uh, Johnson once upon UK's uh, prime minister, well before I believe any of them were actually the prime minister. Fair having enough. that, uh, having that opportunity, I'm just, were you like, oh, this guy's going to be good, and, or, or, or you know, like pick on Justin Trudeau, old fancy socks? Were you like, this guy? I can't imagine what Canada is going to be like under this guy or, or I don't know. I, I guess just curious your thoughts on those three men in particular, and maybe more so just here in, in North America on Trump and, and, and then the counterpart Trudeau, right? Like what Canada was electing versus what the U S was electing. No, I, I just want to understand the question. You mean what I thought of them when I first knew them? Or yes. I, yeah. Well, you, you got to sit across them no different than, than I'm obviously it would have been in, uh, in person, but like, um, I, I sit here and I I'm sitting Conrad and you're, you're getting a feel for who I am and I'm getting a feel for you, who you are. Maybe you knew the Trudeaus for a very long time. You know who Justin was when he came walking on your show and you went, Oh yeah. Okay. Justin, not a big deal. And you've been surprised at what he's done. I highly doubt that, but I, I maybe I'm wrong. And Donald Trump, I assume, would have been the same way. I just, uh, what were your first impressions of two men who rose to be world leaders of uh, of North America? Uh, Donald Trump, I knew uh, starting about twenty five years ago because um, we owned the Chicago Sun Times, which had been owned by a department store owner, Marshall Field. So it was a low rise building, and it was in downtown Chicago. So it was a prime site for redevelopment, and obviously there was a profit to be made there. So we we put it out to you know serious developers, and his was the winning bid. And all my American directors said, uh, "Hang on to your wallet. He's a scoundrel, and so forth. He'll he'll try charge you for his jet fuel." And so we you know we watched it closely, and he was one of the best uh, partners I ever had. He um, came in exactly on time, actually slightly ahead of time, and uh, built a splendid building. You know, Chicago is proud of its architectural tradition of Frank Lloyd Wright and Mies van der Rohe and others. It's an excellent building, 98 stories. And um, he had it filled with first-class occupants ahead of time. And and it was just a, a very happy association. And then I, he was a neighbor in both New York and Palm Beach. So we, we saw him uh, and Melania quite often. And they came to dinner at our house and vice versa. And so, I, yes, I know him. And I... I um, I was impressed with him as a businessman, as as a person. 
uh, to have dinner with. He's a delight. He's very polite. He doesn't try and dominate conversation. He listens well. He's a wonderful raconteur. He's he's a very entertaining person and an authentic comedic genius in addition to other talents. And um, I got to know him well enough that he told me how much polling he did. And this is now going back into the into the last days of the 1990s, you know, so 25 years ago, and he um, uh, he had this idea that he could get a great office because of celebrity. That's why he never much cared whether publicity was favorable or not, and um, and he thought he 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 had a sort of P.T. Barnum genius that uh, some acts of hucksterism, while outrageous in themselves, would be endearing to a large number of people. And he, and he was right. He has considerable insight into mass psychology. And um, uh, so I, you know, I could up to a point see him coming politically, although I had my doubts that it was really fundamentally much more than a publicity, uh, in addition to his publicity game. Uh, and I had my doubts that 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 he could actually get elected because traditionally in the U.S., if you don't work your way up the ladder a bit in elective office or public office anyway, even unelected ones, um, or have a military command that you've been famous in, um, you know, you don't really get very far historically. So that is an illustration of how remarkable his achievement has been. Uh, and uh, in being the only person ever elected president who never held any public office or sought one or any military command. Um, I, I, I would say if you're talking about him currently, um, I am on balance very much a supporter of his, not uncritically, but in general. I think he was a good president in policy terms. He um, ended unemployment. He ended illegal migration. He ended oil imports. Uh, he ended the most extreme freeloading in NATO. He put a stop to the North Korean president firing missiles over Japan. Uh, he started to respond seriously to the Chinese threat, which hadn't been recognized as a threat before. And um, uh, there were clearly stylistic infelicities and the presidency of the United States should be conducted in a somewhat more dignified manner than it was by him. But with that said, I just make two points. No one in the history of that office prior to being elected to it or achieving it by being the vice president and the presidency's vacant. Not one of them achieved as much prior to being president as Trump did, except those who were fundamental to the founding of the country and its institutions, Washington, Jefferson, and Madison, and those who commanded great armies victoriously in just wars, Grant and Eisenhower. Next to them, no one, none of the other what is it, 39 people who've been president of the United States had a prior career as accomplished as his. And the second thing I'd say is that um, no one who has ever held that office has been so illegally and relentlessly assaulted in his attempted execution of it. And, and the last thing I'd say, unless you want me to go on, 
is that his survival of these onslaughts, these completely spurious legal onslaughts, the Russian collusion thing, the two fatuous impeachment trials, and these ludicrous indictments, um, is, is an astonishing act of human perseverance. And the result of it in political terms is that the Trump, the Trump haters hate isn't there anymore. They hated the blowhard, the bully, the caricature of the ugly American, which Donald as a public person could be at times. Uh, and and the Trump that's there now is a, a confident man, certainly, as a billionaire and former president should be, but is an underdog fighting unfair oppression. And people identify with that, and they're right to identify with it. And it will be, I think, one of the great moments when Kant and emotionalism subside and the history of it is written properly. One of the great moments in the development and flourishing of American constitutional democracy, that a larger number of Americans were appalled by the corruption of the system for the purpose of destroying a political opponent by the people manipulating the system than disapproved of Trump, although obviously a great many people do disapprove of him. So uh, I, I gave him probably more of an answer than you wanted, but uh, but there it is. There's no such thing as more of an answer, Conrad. I appreciate you you sharing your thoughts. Uh, the lovely thing about a podcast, sir, is there is no we got to be out in two minutes and yeah. and go to commercial. That's like break. the newspaper column, I've only got you know another. Nah, it's days. what I love. It's what I love about this form. It's what Joe Rogan's done so um so well, right? Is yeah, it's, it allowed people like yourself that have a ton between your ears that people like myself want to hear about? <laughs> no, I I wasn't even an, a, a thought yet while you're at the not the height of your career by any stretch, but you're in the middle of it. Mm. You're 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 in the 80s. You're you're cruising right along. And, no, no uh, I'm not 80 yet. I'm not 80. I'm getting. No, no, no. I meant the 1980s. The 1980s. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. No, no. I, yes. I was I was I had some I did some good things in the 1980s. The um um on on Justin Trudeau, that's a much you know he's a younger man with a less extensive history. Um, I've known him in a way since he was very little because I knew his father fairly well. But he, um, look, I think he's a very nice man. I think what you see in a, in a way is what you get. He's a, he's a, a nice guy who has generally, he's well disposed to people and he's an altruistic person who wants to make the world better. Um, I, I think he deserves some credit as a political leader. I mean, he took the liberals from being the third party, not even the official opposition, and and brought them in with a majority and and against a government that, on its record, should have been reelected, Harper. But um, so it's it, it's easy to denigrate him more than he deserves. With that said, I don't think his government has been a success. I think it's been posturing and image and in policy terms all we have is an excessive truckling to the most extreme grievances of the native victimhood industry without doing much for the natives and um and uh, and uh, an absurd and neurotic in former psychiatric terms preoccupation with gender which is a fraudulent issue other than to the extent people are discriminated against unfairly for some gender-related reason. Uh, we have two sexes, and how people develop their sexuality is up to them. 
they, they can do whatever they want as long as they don't get into coercion of, of the unwilling or public indecency. Uh, and, and all these embellishments and these suggestions that um, there are 280 genders or something, this is just fatuous and we should be, we should wash our hands of it at once. Uh, and and uh, for the rest, he, he's taken the, because it's the, the ruling dogma in the Canadian Liberal Party is he's drunk the Kool-Aid on, on the environment and declared war on the, the industry, the chief industry of your part of the country, Saskatchewan and Alberta. And it, and it's a terrible thing. It's impoverishing the country. It's promoting and even justifying anti-federalist and separatist thoughts. And um, and it is all to no purpose. You know, if we if Canada was belching factories from Halifax to Victoria, uh, it wouldn't materially affect um, it wouldn't materially affect the temperature of the world or or the the condition of the the world's air, the quality of the air outside Canada, and and our record in the environment is quite good. And and we we have to stop being ashamed of our resources. It's the key to the future of this country, as it has been the key to the past of this country. So I, I think he's not been a good prime minister, but he is rather a nice man. I would say that. Well, that's not what I would say, but I'm not uh, no, Conrad Black. Personally, folks. I mean, yeah, politically, nope. <laughs> politically, I I, I can't uh, look. I I I recommended him over Harper for reasons. Because, I mean, I thought Harper was not a bad prime minister, but I thought Harper had to go for various reasons. But um, I don't think he's been a good prime minister. But I do, but people who transpose policy disagreement with Justin into outright hatred of him on the theory that he's a terrible person. I, I don't think that's fair. I don't think he is a bad person. Well, uh, before I let you out of here, um, you know, cause I can, I can go back and forth with you on Justin Trudeau all day long. That's, that's, uh, hey, Justin isn't as interesting as you think, you know, I wouldn't go all day long on Justin. Well, that's, well, that's fair. I, I have a few thoughts. I'll, I'll leave it for a different time. You're coming to Edmonton, uh, Wednesday, uh, January 24th. You're going to be at Rogers place on stage with Rex Murphy and this guy named Tucker Carlson. Who... We're not sure about Rex. I, 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 oh. I, think, I, I think there's a, um, I hope I hope he'll be there, but he's had some health problems lately, so I think that there's a slight question there. Okay, well, I, 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 I hope obviously I hope he comes. He's yeah, a, well, I think for all of us, uh, a we we hope then and he gets well, yeah. uh, and then two we hope to see him on stage uh, in at Rogers Place with you and Tucker That's Carlson. Um, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of buzz going on right now because obviously, you know, uh, this Tucker Carlson guy, you know, I you know he's kind of a, kind of a big deal. Um, oh, yeah. You got you got uh, you got Premier Daniel Smith going to be in attendance. You got this guy named Jordan Peterson going to be in attendance, and then you got a whole bunch of others that are going to be in attendance as well. Um, with Tucker Carlson coming up to Canada, maybe at this point in time, in, sitting in our country's position, everything going on, why do you think it's important to to, to be on stage? And uh, be the one to uh, ask a few questions of Tucker. Why, why do you think that's important? Maybe not to just Canadians. Certainly Western Canadians are very um, excited about this. Yeah, look, I, I have to tell you, I haven't seen much of him since he left Fox. Uh, I'm, I don't mean physically. Physically, I've never, I've never met him. But, um, but I used to watch him quite often on Fox. But I, I, I haven't since he's set up on his own. Well, I gather he's got a huge number of viewers. Um, 
and I am going to have to study up a bit in what he's been saying recently, but I, I think the answer is he has he has expressed a number of opinions about Canada, more than most commentators do, that, that w I think we may want to agree with in some part and challenge in some part. Um, obviously, some of the things that he singled out about the uh, lockdown were absurd, but there was no absence of absurdities and injustices in his own country. And I thought some of his comments uh, were were a little unbecoming a citizen of the United States, which is is not a perfectly functioning democracy itself, as you know. And um, and I think we'll I, I, so I, I think we'll get an should get an interesting interchange there of how uh, how one side of the border views the other reciprocally a little bit, you know. And uh, but on the other hand, I think there's also a um, an overarching community of view to a large extent about how misgoverned both countries are in some ways and um and uh you know sort of comparing notes in an amicable and i hope humorous way about what we can do about it um and and then and then you get responses to particular issues i he he's been i believe relatively supportive of trump and I, I, when I've been out in your part of the country, I find I've, I've, Trump's much better thought of in Alberta than he is elsewhere in the country, in my experience. So I, I think we, I think we may get a, some comments on uh, not just Donald Trump himself, but the range of issues and other personalities caught up in the American election, which is now getting into full campaign, and. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it, it should, it should be good, but I mean, if, if Tucker starts in about how Canada is no longer a free country and so on, I, I think we want to tell him that there are some annoying things going on here, but it's not, it's not quite as bad as he thinks it is. And it is not necessarily something that lies in the mouth of, of an American to chastise us for lapses in, in democratic ideals, you know, when they're, um, trying to imprison a, the leader of the opposition. I mean, at least Justin isn't trying to do that. This is going to be a fun exchange. Uh, you know, uh, you know when, I, when I sit here and I hear you um, discussing your thoughts on Tucker, I'm like, this should be an interesting exchange at Rogers Place, folks. And, you know, I should point out that um, uh, there are tickets still available. And, and one of the reasons I got put in touch with, with Conrad was to, to help promote... Um, uh, him coming here. And so I, I should, I would be remiss if I didn't say, Hey, go ahead over to Ticketmaster and buy a couple of tickets. There are, it says right now that what's, what's the word it says it's selling out fast, whatever. Hey, I'm sure that's a Ticketmaster thing, but it is Wednesday. Going, You're going to have like hotcakes. Yeah, that's right. You're going to have Tucker. And, uh, of course, Conrad on stage, the fact Conrad already is like, well, I'm not going to sit here and just sing his praises. That should be interesting. That should be an interesting exchange, in, in my opinion. Just for 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 your um, uh, thought, you know, I just pulled it up quick on on a different uh, on a different window. Uh, he just had Tony Robbins on, and right now that episode's sitting at two million views. Just for just for you know your brain, um, and uh, you know he's really steered into some uncomfortable topics, and you know it, it ranges. I would say two millions on the low side when he had Donald Trump on. What was it? It was like. 11 million views in the first like hour it was an insane Look, amount donald was um 
he can pull crowds like no but no, like like no public figure in the world right now in the advanced world. I mean, uh, uh, Henry Kissinger, recently deceased, his memorial service. I'm going directly from Edmond into his memorial service, but uh, he used to say his family came to the United States in 1938, and he said that uh, in all his time, the only other person besides Trump who could get only other president or candidate for president who could get people to stand in, in the snow, in falling snow, in tens of thousands for hours waiting for him to speak was Franklin D. Roosevelt. He said Eisenhower could draw fairly well and, and Reagan could draw fairly well, but not like Trump. Well, there's something about Trump. Is there not like it just? Yeah, no, look, he, he, he is it, you tell me one other person, Conrad, that got on when you know, when you see all the stuff happening with censorship, everything else gets asked by reporters certain questions and just calls them out for it. Now, I'm not, I'm not condoning everything Trump did, but in saying that, he called out some things that the common person went, It's about freaking time. It was look, even time. My, my dear friend Peggy Noonan, who doesn't like Trump went to a rally of his in 2016 at Mineola, Long Island. And, and she said it, it, it was unbelievable. They, um, he, he, he struck a chord every sentence. He understands the frustration of the lower middle class and the working man. And, and my theory is that he does that because uh, his father was a builder and all his holidays as a young man, as a teenager, uh, Donald worked on these building sites and he got to know these people and he knows how they think. And they, 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 that's what, one of the reasons he got so interested in sports, you know, because these guys are all great sports fans and it's not a pose, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, he actually identifies with these people and they detect that he identifies with them. And in that sense, in that one sense, he's like Roosevelt, he's a rich man, but the, the people who have no money like him because they see they, that he cares about them. Now, in no other respect is Donald like FDR. I mean, FDR made no pretense to being an average person. You know, he had a elegant Ivy League and wealthy upper Hudson Valley accent. I mean, Donald's got an outer borough accent. He's an educated man, but he has an outer borough accent, and and he's uh, uh, you know he's he's got a sort of Archie Bunker mannerism. You know, and uh, FDR was very mellifluous man with a cigarette holder and so on. But but they both had the genius of communicating to the average person that they cared about them. And it wasn't a pretense in either case. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you uh, you hopping on. I could probably sit and talk to you for another hour. I'd actually and... better be moving along. I'm sorry. <laughs> I but I, I, no, I, 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 kept, I kept you past and I apologize. Yeah. We just, uh, uh, the final thoughts on Tucker and then, and then of course, Donald Trump comes back up. So I appreciate you hopping on, Conrad. I'll no, let you no, out of here. Thank you for having me. And I hope I'll see you in Alberta this week. Oh, I'm, I'm going to make sure I come introduce myself for sure. Good. I look forward okay. to seeing I'll you guys on stage. No. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks Conrad for hopping on and, uh, all the best, uh, on in the coming year and, uh, safe travels here out to, uh, the greatest province in our country. So, um, and, I look forward to seeing you. Terribly wronged by the system. And I, yes. I repeat that until I'm blue in the face down here. You, well, you, you have your friends in the East. Hopefully, hopefully it isn't minus 40 when you come. Hopefully it's yeah. a, the sun shining the day uh, Conrad rolls in. Either way, folks, if you want to get tickets to uh, Tucker Carlson, Conrad Black, and hopefully Rex Murphy on stage at Rogers Place, go to Ticketmaster. And uh, I look forward to seeing that uh, conversation happen uh, live in person. I'm, I'm excited for that. And I look forward to shaking your hand, sir, that night as well. Thanks, Good. Conrad. Thank you, Sean.